Thanks for joining us at the Montrose Church Podcast. For more information, please visit us at montrosechurch.org. Have a great day. Church, good to be with you. How are you feeling in here? It's cool. Is there an echo? Just kidding. I think it's, it's good. We're going handheld this morning, which is fun. Week two of our fall series, Be the Difference. Be the Difference. Pastor Candace kicked it off last week, and she did a great job. And Pastor Dave is not here. He's in Texas. So we're thinking and praying for him, hoping he's having a great time. And I'm preaching part two, which I'm excited about. So uh, the title of this morning's message, church, is The Lord of the Harvest. If you want to write that down or keep it right here. I want to begin with the with a poem, uh, just a short poem. It's actually uh, the, the song that the band just sang during the offertory time is based on a poem from St. Teresa of Avila. It goes like this. Christ has no body but yours. No hands, no feet on earth but yours. Yours are the eyes with which he looks compassion on this world. Yours are the feet with which he walks to do good. Yours are the hands with which he blesses all the world. What if, church, God's plan to heal the world was to send you out into your life, out into your context, out into your community? What if that was God's plan for the world to encounter transformation and peace and redemption? He's sending you. What if that was his plan? Not to be a people who who are stuck thinking, I don't know what I can really do. I don't know how much I really know. Not with those things in our mind, but with the Spirit's help empowering us to go and be his ambassadors in the world. Sending us out into the field. What if that was his plan? And here's what I'm convinced of, churches. That is his plan. It is. For you and me and all of us to be his hands and feet in a broken world that needs Jesus to be his vessels, to be his workers of the field. Um, we're going to be in Luke 10, 1 through 9. And Man, it's quiet in here. Wow. Did you guys notice that? You guys are just listening. Thank you. Maybe you're asleep. Are you good? Can we have some coffee going? Just kidding. All right. We're going to be in Luke 10, uh, verses 1 through 9. Um, and it's going to be on the screen here for you. Here we go. After this, the Lord appointed 72 others and sent them two by two ahead of him to every town and place where he was about to go. He told them, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. Go. I'm sending you out like lambs among wolves. Do not take a purse or a bag or sandals and do not greet anyone on the road. When you enter a house, first say peace to this house. And if someone who promotes peace is there, your peace will rest on them. If not, it will return to you. Stay there eating and drinking whatever they give you for the worker deserves his wages. Do not move around from house to house. When you enter a town and are welcomed, eat what is offered to you. Heal the sick who are there and tell them the kingdom of God has come near. 
Luke 10, 1 through 9, that's where we'll be. The harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Um, I went to college at a small Christian school named Northwest Nazarene University. It's just a little bit outside of Boise, Idaho. Beautiful area. Uh, really loved my time there. And I had two favorite classes in my undergrad. Uh, my first one was preaching. I loved my preaching class. And my other favorite class was camping and recreational ministries. <laughs> yeah. It was a class. It was a class. And I loved it. And the class was all about how do we develop meaningful trips for people, transformational trips for young people and all people. So we went through camps and retreats and all those kind of different things, planned them out, figured out the transportation and the budgets. And, and then we had case studies of what would, what would we do if something went wrong, right? Which, if you know young people, stuff goes wrong at camps and retreats. Just an awesome class. Loved it. So good. And uh, like I said, my other favorite class was preaching. I love my preaching class. I had an adjunct professor at the time who he, he was actually my professor at the college church that was right by campus there. And really cool guy, really knowledgeable, gifted communicator. He's actually a general superintendent in the church of the Nazarene now, which is really cool. Um, but so my preaching class, and, and he would drill into us when you were studying a text to preach it. You're exegeting it, right, the hermeneutics, you're getting all those kind of things going. You need to understand the problem within the text. Because most of the time when you are reading scripture, there's a problem going on. There's some kind of issue where the gospel or, or Jesus specifically or God in the Old Testament, will, he, he will impact that. He will move into that space with the problem and then transform that issue and then send us. So there's usually a problem going on. And so he just drilled into our brains, you need to figure out the problem within the text. Now, present day, I love preaching to you guys. I don't know if you knew that. I don't know if you think, maybe you think Pastor Dave makes me do this. No, I bug him to do it. I bug him to do it. And he lets me sometimes, which is awesome. Um, and I love it. But so Pastor Dave and I, we'll talk about our sermons. We'll, we'll talk about my sermons. Sometimes I'll ask him questions about his sermons, and then I'll ask him beforehand a few questions about my upcoming sermon, and then we'll kind of reflect on it afterwards and talk it through. And one, one thing he said to me about a year and a half ago stuck with me, and he said this when we were talking about building sermons and preaching. He said, most people don't spend long enough in the difficulty of the text. Most people don't spend long enough in that difficulty in that problem within the text. And when he said that, I was like, oh, man, that's so good. And it reminded me of my preaching class, because that's the same thing, the problem within the text, spending time in the difficulty of the text. Now, I say all that because I think the problem within this text is really important for us, and I think we need to spend some time there. And I think the problem within the text here for this Luke 10, 1 through 9 passage is found right away in verse 2. The harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. We don't have a harvest problem, we have a worker problem, a labor shortage. Jesus is saying there's plenty of things to do, plenty of things to accomplish, people to heal, problems to solve, all kinds of things that we need to go do, but there's not enough workers. There's not enough workers. And when people would encounter Jesus in the first century, they got to know this rabbi teacher, and his teachings were awesome and so different and, and a lot of people enjoyed what he said, at least at first. And then he would demand something of him, right? You would have to sacrifice something. Come and follow me. You need to give away something, these things. Maybe it's your occupation, whatever it may be. There was some kind of sacrifice, and that's when people wouldn't go. 
That's when many people turned away. Now, many people did go, just like we see in this text, about 70 people that Jesus sent out. But the problem is still a lack of workers. Present 2023, modern day, Southern California, I believe the problem is still the same. The harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. The harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. And why? Why? I want to list a few things that I think are the reasons why, the causes why. And this isn't an exhaustive list. There's probably more than this, but here's a few. The first one is time. Why do we have a worker problem? Because of time. We don't have time. We're busy. Our lives are consumed with all kinds of stuff. So much hurry. Um, Dallas Willard is a famous theologian and philosopher, and he, uh, he was at USC for a really long time, just kind of a giant in the Christian faith, and I just want to encourage you guys to go read his books. They're fantastic, Dallas Willard. But there's this little story of him talking to this pastor, and this pastor comes up to him, and this pastor is, he, he's, he has a church that's exploding. It's doing really well. Things are, things are going great, but the pastor is, has kind of this internal struggle. He's having an identity crisis, and so he uh, meets with Dallas Willard, and he talks with them, and he asks a couple questions. Here's the two questions. He says, how do I become the very best me? And then right after that, he asks Dallas, and how do I live a healthy spiritual life? Those two questions. And as the story goes, there was a long pause, and then Dallas Willard says, you must ruthlessly eliminate hurry from your life. And then then the pastor's like, oh, okay, yeah, what else, what else? Another long pause. And Dallas Willard goes, there's nothing else. Hurry is the greatest enemy of the spiritual life. You must ruthlessly eliminate it. And then he drops the mic. No, he didn't drop the mic. <laughs> but that is convicting. I, I don't know, is it just me or is it all of us? Our lives are so filled with all kinds of things, so much busyness, so much hurry, and it's a problem. It's a problem. Corey Ten Boone once said, if the devil can't make you sin, he'll make you busy. You heard that? There's truth in that because both sin and busyness have the same effect on us. It cuts off our connection to God. It cuts off our connection to others. And many times it cuts off our connection to our own soul. Too much busyness. Too much hurry. And church, it's hard. It's hard, right? Because we got all kinds of things we need to do. We got families, we got jobs, we got so much. But the call is still to slow down. To find time for God to use us, and he wants to use us. He's waiting to empower his people, but do we make the time? The second uh, problem within this text here is, is doubts. Why do we have a worker problem? Number two is doubts. Now, here's the deal. It's not really doubts that are the problem. It's actually just what they do to us. They freeze us. They immobilize us. We question what we can really do. What can I really do for the kingdom of God? What can I do? How can I make a difference? Right? As we're saying, be the difference. How can I make a difference? I'm just fill in the blank. I'm just, maybe you say your career, right? Your occupation. Maybe you say your diagnosis. I'm just an engineer, I'm just a teacher, I'm just a stay-at-home mom or dad, I'm just a person who struggles with anxiety, I'm just a person who struggles with depression, I'm just fill-in-the-blank, 
we have doubts, we have questions, and we wonder, can God really use someone like me? Have you ever thought that to yourself? Can God really use someone like me with my stuff, with my baggage? Yes, he can. That's why I love our God, and that's why I love Scripture, because God uses all kinds of people in Scripture that he never should be using. People who have all kinds of brokenness, all kinds of hang-ups, and he uses them in mighty ways. I'm just a tax collector. God uses Matthew. I'm just a, a prostitute. God used Rahab. I'm just a fisherman. God uses Peter to be his rock of the church. I'm just a depressed mess. God uses Elijah. God uses all kinds of people for his kingdom, and he wants to use you and me and all of us. He wants to use us. We are called to be his vessels. I'm just, no, no, kill that. Stop that. Can we stop thinking that? I'm just, no, no, no. You are a child of God who is fearfully and wonderfully made with the Holy Spirit empowering you to go and be his people in the world. And you can change your family and your job setting and your, and your community. You can do those things. So there's no more I'm just, kill that. Paul Tillich, a philosopher, he says this. And, and I've said this before in a sermon, and I know Pastor Dave has too. It's a really cool quote. The opposite of faith isn't doubt, it's certainty. We can have questions. We can have doubts. We can have hang-ups. You know what that makes us? It makes us human. The problem is actually when we think we have it all figured out and know all the answers, because then there's probably not even a need for God. We can have our stuff our problems. All we need to do is surrender what we have to a God who cares, and then he will use us in ways that we never expected. He will empower us. The harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Jesus is inviting us to be his workers, church. He's sending us to be his hands and his feet in our world, to see with his eyes people in need, Empathy and compassion. All right, and another reason why the workers are few, we choose the wrong battles. We choose the wrong battles. As a youth pastor, I have to pick my battles with young people, for sure. And I've heard from parents, I'm not a parent yet, I will be in November, but, oh, okay. Thank you. Thank you. Um, yeah, so I've heard from parents, though. You have to choose your battles with your kids. Have you said this before? Choose your, yes. Just right away, yes, yes. To choose your battles with your kids. As Jesus' followers commissioned by him to be his hands and feet in the world, I think we need to choose the right battles. Choose the correct battles. And here's what I'm convinced of, church, is that nowadays, a lot of us Christians, we choose the wrong battles. We get caught in the weeds of all kinds of stuff. There's a, a, a quote, it's from Stephen Covey, and then there's a, a, a famous pastor in our denomination, denomination. and they both kind of use this quote, and, and the quote goes like this, keep the main thing the main thing. Have you heard that? Keep the main thing the main thing. I love that. What is the main thing? Jesus. It's not a, quick, it's not a trick question. Jesus is the main thing, right? <laughs> Everyone's like, okay, good. 
Jesus is the main thing. The cross, the resurrection, community, a life in pursuit of God, in pursuit of his people, loving them the very best we can. That's the main thing. Do we keep that the main thing? I don't know. I think it's a problem sometimes. The last one with the problems, idolatry. And this is the biggest one and the overarching problem, idolatry. We want to be Christ's workers. We love the idea, but when it comes down to it, there's just things that are more important to us. Let's just be honest. Let's just reflect for a moment, church. How high on your priority list is following Christ? How high on your priority list is going to church and being with a community of believers? How high on your priority list is reading scripture, praying, sitting in silence, and communing with the God who loves you and is calling you to more? How high on our priority lists are these things? And again, it's hard. It is. Because of busyness, because of hurry, because we're an instant gratification people. If you remember the story in Exodus 32, um, uh, the Israelites are, are at the foot of this mountain, and Moses is up, right, talking with God on the mountain, and it's taking a while. And if you remember the story, they end up, like, forgetting about Moses and God. Even though he, God had just brought them out of Egypt and done all these amazing things, they forget, they, they forget about it, and they build uh, an idol, a golden calf, and they start to worship this little G God, right? I think many times that's us in our culture if we're not careful. Right? We've seen God move, but we're an instant gratification people. So we begin to worship all kinds of little G gods in our life. Gods that we make. Gods of materialism, consumerism, pleasure, all kinds of stuff. We're just like the Israelites. And we need to remember, hey, God is, Moses is coming down. God is here. He's still working. Idolatry is a problem. The harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. The problems, time, doubts, choosing the wrong battles, and idolatry, all right? Those are the problems. Now let's keep going through the text here, jumping to verse 2. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. Church, can we, can we pray? And we're going to spend a little time at the, at the end of this sermon praying a little bit. But can we go from this place and, and pray? that we would have our eyes opened and our hearts opened for, in which, for the ways in which God wants to use us. Very practical things. I don't know what those things are, but I'm praying that the Holy Spirit reveals those things to you. Can we pray for that? And can we pray for workers, other workers to join in? I'm so, I'm so, <laughs> I'm so sick and tired of, of, of the statistics that talk about how the church is shrinking in America like crazy. I'm over it. We need more workers. Can we pray for those workers? Can we pray for them? Verse 3. Go, I'm sending you out like lambs among wolves. Do not take a purse or a bag or sandals. Do not greet anyone on the road. When you enter a house, first say peace to this house. If someone who promotes peace is there, your peace will rest on them. If not, it will return to you. Stay there, eating and drinking whatever they give you, for the worker deserves his wages. Do not move around from house to house. When you enter a town and you are welcomed, eat what is offered you. Heal the sick who are there and tell them the kingdom of God has come near to you. The problem, we have the problem, right? We understand the problem now as Jesus commissions us. As we leave this place in just a few moments, 
Here's what we need to do looking at this text. Number one, stay on mission. Stay on mission. And yes, I got another list for you, okay? Hang with me. Stay on mission. I'm sending you out like lambs among wolves. Don't take a purse or a bag or sandals. Don't greet anyone on the road. Right away, Jesus says, don't get knocked off course. It's going to be hard. There's going to be struggles. You are lambs among wolves. Some of us are like, lambs? Jesus, I'm not a sheep. Yes, Jesus is like, you are a sheep. Okay, I'm a sheep, Jesus. I'll be a sheep for you. Right? Absolutely. We are sheep going out. It's going to be difficult. We're never promised a, a, a perfect life, a painless life. We're not promised that. John 16, in this world you will have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. There's going to be some stuff along the way. But what we are promised is that the shepherd will be with us every step of the way. God is with us. He is our Emmanuel. Jesus says, stay on mission. Stay focused. Don't take even a purse or a bag or, or, or even some sandals. It's like, Jesus, I can't even take my sandals? No. No. He says, go. And what he's saying is, it's not like, I don't think it's a literal sandals thing. I think it's travel light. Right? You think you need all these things to follow me. You don't. Just as we talked about. Just present God with what you have, a willing heart and a, a life in, in surrender of him, and he will take it. So just go, travel light, keep your eyes on me. You don't need a bunch of degrees in theology or ministry or a perfect devotional schedule. You don't need those things. Those things are good, but you don't need those things. Just go. Go. Stay on mission. Surrender what you have. Uh, number two, go with peace. Go with peace. Verse 5, when you enter a house, first say peace to this house. If someone who promotes peace is there, your peace will rest on them. If not, it will return to you. Fear was a big topic in the first century at this time. We can only imagine the, the, just the craziness of the Roman Empire and how oppressive they were. They were crucifying all kinds of people. If you stepped out of line and the taxes were overwhelming to the Jewish people. I mean, just, just imagine being a Jewish person at this time. Worrying about your family and shelter and food and all those things, the taxes. Worried about maybe saying the wrong thing, stepping out of line. So much fear. Fear spread fast and wide. And this is why it's so powerful that the most quoted phrase in all the Bible is do not fear. I don't know if you knew that. The most quoted phrase in all the Bible, do not fear. Don't be afraid. Jesus says it over and over because fear was rampant, and it still is rampant, church. still is. And at, at this time in the first century, the Jews didn't want peace either, though. They didn't. They wanted a Messiah to rise up and, and to build this army and overthrow Rome, right, and crush the, the Romans. They didn't want peace either. That's why this message of Jesus and his peace was so countercultural. The upside-down kingdom. Pray for your enemies. What, Jesus? Pray for them. Turn the other cheek. Put down your sword. It's about the lion and the lamb laying down together. We're doing bigger things here. The kingdom of God is at hand. You are an ambassador of peace, of shalom. Shalom is that Hebrew word that means peace, but it means much more than that. It means wholeness, things being made right. That's what Jesus is after, shalom. Friends, are we messengers of God's peace? Are you? 
in your context? Or do we just continue to push the cycle of violence in our world, even in little ways? We are called to be his ambassadors, ambassadors of peace. Go with peace. The harvest is plentiful and the workers are few. We need workers to go out into the field as we leave this place and say, I'm not, I'm not going to be afraid. I'm not going to fear because God is with me and he's empowering me to do this good work in whatever that looks like for you, church. Number three, be hostable. Some of you are like, hostable? Is that a word? Hostable. Um, it's a cool word, and we're going to talk about it in a couple weeks, actually. We're going to really dig into it. And so I'm not going to say too much about this, this right here, but I, I needed to put it in here because it's in verse 7. Stay there, eating and drinking whatever they give you, for the worker deserves his wages. Do not move around from house to house. When you enter a town and you are welcomed, eat what is offered to you. I don't know if you've ever noticed this, but Jesus never hosts anyone throughout his life. Throughout his ministry, he never hosts anyone. He is the hosted person. Pharisees, other religious leaders, right, uh, tax collectors, fishermen, they all host Jesus for a meal. But Jesus never hosts anybody. He's hostable. He's a really great guest. And I think he, he, as he commissions the 70 here, he's, he's telling them, hey, be great guests. Be hostable. Don't jump around from house to house too quick. Get to know people there. There's power in relationships. Get to know people. Question, are, are we hostable? Are we great guests? Now, I think we like the idea of that. It's like, yeah, somebody can serve me dinner. That's great. You know? What do we have in steaks? Okay. Salad? That's for Dave. Right? We, we like the idea of that. But really, though, are, are, we, are we great guests? When someone invites us into their life, into a relationship, do, do we have time for that? We're too busy, too much hurry. Are we hostable? It's convicting, and we'll talk about it more in a couple of weeks. Uh, the last one, number four, proclaim the kingdom of God. Jesus ends this commissioning of the 70, telling them, Proclaim the kingdom of God is near. Proclaim it. There's an urgency here. You can't wait. Don't wait. It's not like, hey, uh, Jesus is like, hey, guys, go out there and gently just inform people about this great um, option for them. All right? He doesn't do that. He says, go. Your lambs among wolves. Go. There's an urgency. Do we need to hear this today? What are we waiting for? What, what's, what's holding us back from following Jesus fully? Why aren't we going? Jesus says, go, take what you have. I'm going to use you in amazing ways. The invitation is to go, and it's an, it's an urgent invitation. I know we have fears. We do. I know we have different problems, as we discussed but we're called to throw those things away and go be Christ's agents in this world to bring his compassion, to bring his peace, to bring his transformation in whatever way we can. The harvest is plentiful and he's calling all of us to be the workers of the field. Christ has no body but yours, no hands, no feet on earth but yours. Yours are the eyes with which he looks compassion on this world. Yours are the feet with which he walks to do good. Yours are the hands with which he blesses 
the world. Church, it's you. It's me. It's us. As we leave this place. Um, I want to invite the band back up. I have no idea what time it is. There's no clock. Maybe that's good. Maybe that's dangerous. I don't know. Um, so I just want to, just a couple things real quick here to close. Okay. <laughs> just a couple things, church. Um, I want to just do some, some intentional prayer time here at the end. But before that, I didn't read the part of this uh, story that, that talks about when the workers come back. The, the workers of the field, they come back to Jesus. And they're ecstatic. They're joyful. And they're like, Jesus, we did all this amazing stuff. We were casting out demons, and it was incredible. And Jesus is happy for them. He's like, great job, guys. Like, you did a really great job, but remember, it's, you need to just be thankful that your names are written in heaven. That's what he's, it's kind of like this hanging, like, oh, like, what is that? It's kind of like this gut punch of, hey, I'm, I'm excited that you did all those things, but just remember, it's all God. It was all him. He was the one who gave you the capabilities to be his hands and feet in the first place. It's his spirit that's empowering us. I have a friend of mine who, um, he plays professional hockey for the Carolina Hurricanes. I don't know if we have any hockey fans in here. Uh, his name's Jacob Slavin. You can look him up. Really great guy. Super awesome defenseman for them. And he, um, obviously he makes a ton of money. <laughs> and he's a stud athlete. And it's so cool because, like, when he's having different interviews and stuff, and on his social media posts and stuff, he always says, all the glory to God, all the glory to God. And maybe you've seen different athletes or different people do that. But he's like really, he's really good about always just, just plugging that. It's just, it's all God. It's all God. That's how he ends all kinds of different things and honors all his posts. All the glory to God. I just wonder, can, can that be us as we leave this place, church? We're empowered and we just go with what we have. But we remember when, when maybe things start to happen, and they will because that's how God does it, we'll remember, but it's all God. It's all God. And we will constantly point people back to God and his amazing love and his amazing redemption. Amen, church? All right, would you stand? And then we're just going to spend a couple moments here in prayer real quick. The first kind of uh, thing I want us to pray for is this. I, I want us to reflect and just pr pray a little bit for ourselves. And maybe, maybe we, would, we would hear what God is speaking to us about his calling for us to be his workers in the field. Can we pray for that, church? Let's pray real quick. God, thank you. Thank you for today and your word, God, and just to worship as the body of Christ. And God, we just want to take a couple moments here. Can we reflect in our own souls, our own journey? Are you calling us to be your workers? Speak to us, Lord Jesus. And God, now as we, as we kind of jump to this, the second thing here, just as the text says, can we pray to the Lord of the harvest to send workers? Can we pray for that, God? Our friends and, 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 and different people we know, can we pray 
for those things, God, that your name would go out into all the earth, God. And we pray for workers. God, thank you for your presence here this morning. Thanks for all these awesome people in this room and those listening online. God, would you send us as your people, as your workers out into the field? May we go with, with strength and boldness because the Holy Spirit is within us. And whatever that looks like for us, God, would you speak to our hearts about you know, whatever that looks like for us as we go about our, our weeks God, in a practical and powerful way. Jesus, we love you so much. Thanks for joining us at the Montrose Church Podcast. For more information, please visit us at www.montrosechurch.org. Have a great day.